Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there's so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there, and you're tired of the senseless and toxic diet culture noise. You're ready to tune into your body, feel empowered around food, and focus on your true health and well-being. Welcome to the Wellness Rebranded podcast. We're the healing trio of your health and wellness anti-diet dreams. I'm Tara, personal trainer. I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I'm Maura, licensed clinical social worker. Together, we're pushing back on diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity to help you practice genuine health-promoting self-care. So grab your water bottle, forget the rules, and and let's let's start rebranding your wellness journey. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Rebranded. Today, we are talking about five diet and wellness trends to say goodbye to in 2023. Elizabeth, this is your baby. Yes. Thank you, Tara. I have put together five. I could have gone on and on and picked out endless numbers, but for the sake of brevity, I went with five. And of course, it will likely surprise no one listening that probably I would like to say goodbye to all the dieting trends in 2023. But I had to pick, but I narrowed it down and picked some specific ones that particularly just get under my skin or that I really want to kind of give people a little education around. Love it. So the first one is keto. (sighs) What do you guys know about this? This is high protein, high fat, low carb. Am I right? Close. Close. It's high fat, moderate protein, low carb. And essentially the point of the keto diet is to try to force your body to use a different form of fuel. So Carbs are typically our body's primary source of energy, which break down into glucose. And glucose is the molecule from food that can cross the blood-brain barrier. And so if you're not eating enough carbs, which break down into glucose, then there won't be fuel for your brain. Mm -hmm. So your body has to come up with what I like to think of as this expensive workaround to convert stored fat into something called ketone bodies, which can cross the blood-brain barrier and fuel the brain. But the key word there is that it's kind of that expensive workaround. It's not how our bodies are optimally. And it makes you hangry, right? Like when you don't have enough carbs, you're not you. Yeah, for me, for sure. Yes, for most people, absolutely. And from what I have heard from others about the keto diet, it I think like the goal is getting to like this ketosis state. Is that yes. what you're what you're describing? Yes, that is what I'm describing. So the goal is to get your body into a state of ketosis that truthfully requires pretty rigid management and very low carb to do that. It takes about a week to get your body into a true state of ketosis. And most people who are doing the keto diet are not really in that pure state of ketosis. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I did the Adkins diet back like a million years ago, which is essentially like the old school keto, right? Well, like I mean, kind of it's similar. similar in that it's also a higher fat, higher protein, lower carb diet. But the aim of Atkins was not really to put your body into ketosis. Oh, interesting. The aim of keto is to put your body. We had like these little strips that you had to pee on to see if you were in ketosis or not. Oh, when you were doing that? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong then. Maybe that was Maybe that was just like the way that we did it. But that's intense. It was intense. It was weird. That is so intense. The fact that you have to like pee on something to see if your diet's working is like kind of strange to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. To determine how, wait, to determine how to eat, how to fuel your body rather than listening to your body. You're peeing on a strip. Yeah, mm-hmm. give you that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is wild. The only that time I want to pee on anything to see how my body's doing is if I'm trying to get pregnant, yeah. <laughs> or perhaps we're at the doctor, right? Um, <laughs> or that. But yeah, I mean, it's such a great point, Mora. Is that first of all, talk about taking all the joy out of eating, but then yeah. also so often it's just a really slippery slope. Those dieting behaviors turning into disordered eating behaviors are causing real kind of stress and overwhelm, right? And yeah, having to pee on a strip. I felt very like I was so surrounded by I can't eat anything but this and I can't eat that, but I really want that. But be strong. Don't do this. And it was like a really stressful period of eating in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a question that I would always encourage people to ask first and foremost, can you imagine eating that way for the rest of your life? No. And if the answer, I mean, surely, right? <laughs> Having to- I can't imagine eating that way for one more meal. <laughs> yeah. And you're describing how intense and stressful it was. And, and the point, I guess, is if you can't imagine eating that way for the rest of your life, well, what happens when you stop? Have you changed any of your eating behaviors? Have you learned anything new about yourself and your eating behaviors? Have you added to your toolbox in any way around eating in a way that feels good and suits your body? And I also want to add one thing. I feel like because I have polycystic ovaries, people recommend keto to me all the time. And everything works for a little while if you do it. And then the second you stop, it's like your hormones are so out of whack with keto. You're just not getting enough carbs to kind of like help your reproduction, which is like the opposite of the goal with PCOS. Right. So to me, it's mind boggling that doctors still recommend this to me. Right. And so for weight loss, why? Yes. Thank you. I mean, important (laughs) point. I didn't mean to gloss over that. Important point to bring up. So, I mean, some people will see or may see a short term weight loss. Right. But I think it's important to point out a lot of that is actually water weight. It has a sort of diuretic effect on the body. Carbs help you retain water and stay hydrated. So anytime you cut out carbs, correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Yeah course you're gonna lose a few pounds of water weight uh-huh. like what's the point right and then lots of water and like oh there it is back again <laughs> right and then as with any diet i think something that people overlook is are you actually losing fat or are you losing muscle mass and i'm sure you totally to that Tara. yes i actually did like an evaluation on a client yesterday who's been with me for like a year and he did end up losing like 10 pounds of muscle of course mm-hmm. he's lost a lot of fat too due to other things mm-hmm. but it's always kind of shocking for me to see, like, oh, our goal is gaining muscle here. What is this? What's happening? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so I just think it's super common. Yeah, and and not often really talked about. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, too. I know that we have more on the list, but uh-huh. thinking about keto and the people who I've known who have done keto, it's interesting, like, the overlap, because it seems like they tend to be into, like, strength training. Like, I mm-hmm. see a lot of that with yeah. people who are into keto. So it's really interesting that, like... And it's not great for, like, building muscle either. Like, you're not getting enough protein in that diet to really, like, build up your muscle mass. So it's weird that that is an overlap. I have, though, tried butter in coffee before, which is, like, a keto thing, apparently. And honestly, it's kind of good. I like it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm not a coffee drinker anyway, but but that leads right into a potential risk of the ketogenic diet is that it is high fat and often it's high in saturated fat. Yeah, butter. um, Which (laughs) is a risk factor for heart disease, potentially. So and then I also just want to be sure to mention the keto diet was originally created for as a treatment for children with epilepsy. 
and it's very well studied in that population. It is not very well studied as a weight loss diet because that's not what it was meant to be. And certainly now there may be some short-term studies, but we don't have long-term studies about what the impact that eating this way may or may not have. You know what's interesting? My dog had a seizure when she was like a year old and I freaked out and took her to the vet and whatever. And my vet has epilepsy and he was like, put her on the keto diet. And we've had her on like a grain free because I instantly was like, "Ah, first of all, I can't even go into this with you right now because it is too much. But also, I don't believe in this way of eating. And he was like, seriously. And he showed me all the Uh research on epilepsy. And I was like, dang. Chula hasn't had a seizure since. Oh, great. Switched it a grain-free. It's really easy in dogs, not so easy in humans. That's great. (laughs) And that culture is like sucked up this thing of like, oh, look, this is like, this has research to support it for something else entirely. Yes, right. Yes, yes. (laughs) But like, let's. Uh And isn't that what diet culture does? Yes, it is. And then, of course, probably people may have heard about the keto flu, which you were mentioning. Totally. Just, you know, that. The symptoms, digestive system, there are symptoms that can come along with that, constipation, dehydration, mm-hmm. there's potential nutrient deficiencies if people are not eating enough carbs, but maybe not getting enough fiber, all sorts of things. So definitely not a fan of keto. Yeah. <laughs> Say goodbye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the second one is a little bit short and sweet, but essentially it's those what I eat in a day videos. You guys yes. see these? Mm-hmm. What yes. are your thoughts on these? I hate this. We are not all the same human. Yes. I saw one where like the rock ate like a billion calories in a day. And like most normal people could never eat that much without being physically ill from like their stomach stretching. (laughs) But he needs to eat like that to fuel what he does. So to think we're all the same is insane. Yeah. It's hard because they are compelling in a way. Like there's this curiosity I think that we have that we're like, ooh, like I do want to know what you eat in the day. Just kind of like... We would be curious about yeah. other things about somebody mm-hmm. else's day. And because it gets a lot of views or a lot of like likes, a lot of engagement on social media, people make more of it. Because, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like this continuous. Mm-hmm. And I think the underlying message is sort of if you eat like me, you'll look like me. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's typically people in genetically thin bodies who are who are creating these yep. to begin with. And it's funny when I was putting together my reasons about why I hope this trend goes, the, my first thought was, who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares what you ate? Right. Like right. I could yeah. eat exactly what you eat and move exactly how you move. And we're still going to have different bodies burn calories at a different rate and have different amounts of fat on our bodies because we're all different people. We're different humans. Different. And I can't let it slide without saying that typically the people are often the people making these videos. They're influencers. They're not nutrition professionals. Yeah. That kind of makes me want to make one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. It's having the opposite of its intended conversation. (laughs) We're saying goodbye, not hello. Yeah. Not to mention so often... I think people are actually under eating in those videos and yeah, disconnects you from your body, has you mistrusting your own hunger, fullness right. cues, right? Sets us into that comparison trap, which is never great. So that is trend number two that I hope we can say goodbye to in 2023. You guys ready for the third one? Ready. Ready on the edge of your seats? Oh, yes. yes. 
weight loss shots, which I mean, Ooh. we really could make a whole conversation on this. So we'll try we to keep it a little bit short. Conversation, yeah. At some point, I have no idea what this is. Okay, so it's this really troubling trend, Mora, that people it has been billed the worst kept secret in Hollywood because <laughs> there's all these celebrities who are touting these weight loss shots. The specific one is Ozempic. Ozempic is essentially a diabetes medication that is meant to help with blood sugar and, in fact, does in people with diabetes, but it also may result in modest weight loss. And so people are touting it as sort of the next weight loss fix. So it kind of reminds me of the keto again, right? There's like this thing that we have research to support treatment for something Mm -hmm. and a side effect of it might be weight loss, Mm -hmm. maybe. And so diet culture grabs onto it and says, oh, look, this is the secret. Absolutely. That is exactly what happens. And it's even a little bit complicated because there's a sister medication that has the same active ingredient that actually has been approved by the FDA for weight loss, although... I don't, again, there's not super long-term studies on that. Of course, I'm other, looking forward to a whole other episode things on have this. been approved by it's that. It's really interesting. Yes. But so essentially, and if you were to go to the Ozempic website, it says all over it, it is not a weight loss medication. And it has very serious warnings. Very serious. Very I'm serious. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to get to that. Yes. So, Sorry. Not only does it have serious warnings, but which I do think we should talk about for a second, But there's now a shortage of this medication for people who need it with diabetes. Oh, my God. Which is horrifying. Huge problem. It's also extremely expensive if it's not covered by insurance. So some of the side effects include kind of the more mild ones are GI symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Some of the more significant ones are problems, kidney problems, vision problems, pancreatitis, gallbladder problems. I think there's a thyroid cancer warning in there. Yeah. So that's so horrifying to me because like, okay, you're like maybe a little nausea or digestive issues you can kind of deal with. But like cancer. Yeah. I'm not going to blow off that warning just, you know, in hopes that I look a little bit different. Not to mention when you go off of this, like all diets. It's yes, and I was just going to say that even what the evidence shows currently is when people stop taking medication, the weight loss reverses. So again, it's not for that in the first place. It's also not a long-term solution and continues to perpetuate weight stigma. So there's actually an, I do think we should do a whole podcast episode on this because there's so much to dig into, but there is a great podcast episode that I would point people to, which is the Health Can't Wait, W-E-I-G-H-T podcast. The host of that podcast is Maggie Landis, and she is an MD who is weight neutral, intuitive eating oriented, and she has a guest who's also an MD, and they have a fascinating conversation about this. So that is just a really great conversation that I would encourage anyone who is wants more before we get, can do it to check that out. I'm going to check I'm that out later. Out <laughs> yeah. Okay, ready for number three? Yes. Yeah. Number three is gluten-free for weight loss or generalized wellness. Okay. In other words non-celiac-related yeah. or, or medical-related. I, I will say the only, like, silver lining I see to this is for people who have celiacs, now they have this, like, massive array of choices that they didn't Yes, yes. Because diet culture has co-opted this mm-hmm. gluten-free thing and decided it should be for all of us. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah. Such a great point. So I think it's important, or I want to just say some people out there may not even know what the heck is gluten. It's a protein in wheat, barley, and rye. And people who have celiac disease have an autoimmune reaction to gluten, and it can damage the villi in your small intestine, cause belly pain, nausea, bloating, and a whole host of other symptoms. There is something else called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. We don't understand a lot about this condition. It can cause symptoms similar to celiac in the bloating, the cramping, the diarrhea, but without those damaging effects in the small intestine. But there's no biomarkers for diagnosis, and usually... It's figured out through a process of elimination. And I saw an estimate that only between 0.6 and 10% of people may have this sort of little understood unspecified gluten reaction with varying range of symptoms. But if you think about how many people believe they need to eat Mm -hmm. gluten free. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like, definitely the people that I have met in my life mm-hmm. way more than that percentage. Yes. 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 So there's a huge mismatch. I see in my practice all the time, people with a genuine kind of fear or reluctance to eat carbs or grains. I'm always like, when I see gluten-free things, I'm like, ah, oh, do they have one with gluten? <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes me like a little nervous, like, oh, this is going to be gross, even though it's... But some of the products are really tasty. I mean, if you were to come to my house, you would find like, there's a gluten-free pancake mix that I love. Not because it's gluten-free. I just think it makes really yummy pancakes. And I <laughs> honestly, I ate it for years and somehow never noticed that it was gluten-free. <laughs> and so then funny. I finally realized and I thought, that's surprising. I, I didn't know. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love to when like it's used as a marketing thing for things that wouldn't normally have gluten anyway. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Like yeah. pretzels, right? Like they don't yeah. typically have gluten. Or am I thinking of something else? Well, no, they would. They would. Okay, else. I'm thinking of something else mm-hmm. that is like gluten-free and I'm like... Wait, yeah, there wouldn't be often there. You're right. Things get marketed that way that wouldn't typically, which is where kind of diet industry and the food industry, marketing industry overlap too, right? I noticed this on a pack of Twizzlers. It said naturally a fat free food. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's like 100% sugar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. But again, I think the point is that it, it's not necessary for the vast majority of people. There's nothing most bodies know what to do with gluten and carbs are our primary source of energy. If you were to cut out all gluten, you could potentially be missing some of those nutrients. That was four, right? Nice. Okay. Are you ready for number five? Yes. Number five is at-home food sensitivity tests. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to test myself at home for things. (laughs) I want to pay a professional to test things for me. There is, man, we're talking about all the podcasts today. There is a podcast that I, I really enjoy. It's called Ona, Ross, and Carrie. They like try out different things. It's a, it's a whole thing, but they tried these. Oh. And the results were like false. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they just, so, they did a, like a lot of like research into the company too. And there's a lot of like shadiness involved too. Like, so I don't, I don't know necessarily <laughs> that side of it, but essentially, these tests claim to measure food sensitivities that may cause specific symptoms like cramping, bloating, indigestion, those sorts of things with a finger prick of blood. And essentially what they're measuring is something called IgG antibodies. And then if you go actually went last night and looked at the the marketing pages of some of these, and then they suggest an elimination diet depending on what your results are. But the things that I would like everyone to know is, first of all, there's no specific medical diagnosis of a food sensitivity. 
There's food allergies that happen when your body has an immune reaction to something it perceives as harmful, which is usually an antibody in a specific food that can cause a reaction. There's food intolerance, which is not an immune reaction, but your body may have trouble digesting certain things. So a great example of that is someone who's lactose intolerant, right? They don't produce enough the enzyme lactase to digest milk and therefore would experience, you know, abdominal reactions when they eat it. Um, there's also no real evidence that these food sensitivity tests work. And the way that, so a food allergy, when you go to kind of an allergist, let's say, and they're doing food allergy testing, they're testing for something called IgA antibodies. These food sensitivity tests test for IgG antibodies. And your body can react to that if you've eaten it recently or if you eat that food frequently. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. I had a client who did one of these and tested positive for like a chicken sensitivity. Yes, and I've he's heard like, that I eat before. chicken all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. If, if you don't feel yucky after you eat it, I'd keep eating it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had that. I've had people come in too. And so from my perspective, one, there's no evidence really supporting these. Two, they're suggesting people should do elimination diets, which really you should do with the support of your dietitian or a doctor. I think that's where um, the shadiness part comes in sometimes. Yeah. Like it's, it highlights like this like health thing mm-hmm. that, that your maybe should be supervised. In. Yeah. 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 But also it causes a lot. I mean, it can lead to disordered eating right now. Yeah. We're suddenly afraid like to eat a whole bunch of foods. It can cause right. anxiety. It can again if you do go down the rabbit hole of trying to eliminate those foods, well, now you're putting yourself at risk of nutrient deficiencies. So it's really just this tangled web. And you've like tuned out from listening to your own body because now you know mm-hmm. that your body's going to react badly to these things. So forget what your body's actually telling you. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted, I thought that was an important one to talk about because I think people don't know that these are not validated tests or the potential harm involved. Yeah. Yeah. So many of them lead back to disordered eating, right? Definitely. I think it's so interesting how all of these have like potential harm Mm -hmm. linked with them. Yeah. Which is a good reason to say goodbye to them in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my list and I'm sticking with it, ladies. And for anyone out there who would like help undieting and really focusing on true health and well-being and opting out of diet culture, In 2023, I would point you towards this free five-day mini course that I have, which is how to break up with dieting for good. And you can access that in the show notes. Awesome. Love it. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you found this helpful, please take a moment and leave us a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about Mora, you can find her at her website, moratani.com. If you want to connect with me, find me on Instagram at Fitness. To connect with Elizabeth, visit her at www.elizabethharrisnutrition.com. And while you're there, follow the link to join her health and healing with intuitive eating community on Facebook.